Okay, if you would take your Bible once again and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4. As we continue, and uh, Lord willing, this morning we will finish part 2 of entering into the rest of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 4. Again, let's begin reading at verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 13. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying, And David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So again, entering into the rest of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. I pray as we look into the word of God this morning, will we allow it to arrest our attention, and we might center our thoughts and attention on the word of God today. We will allow the spirit of God to bring conviction and repentance where needed, and to encourage and teach and instruct according to your will and your purpose for our lives. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible here in Hebrews 4, and as we've been seeing, is talking about entering into the rest of the Lord. And we noticed that we noted that this rest that extended to us is offered to all people. Uh, it can be neglected. You know, it, it was not mixed with faith with them that heard it. Verse 2 tells us there's always a potential for unbelief. And uh, so we ought to fear lest uh, that perchance that, that we would not trust in the living God. Uh, or we would fall short of, of His will and His purpose for our life. Uh, there is, we notice that there is an accepted time. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. We don't know how long we have. We don't know the day nor the hour the Lord may come. We don't know the day of our death. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For now know us not what the day may bring forth, Proverbs tells us. And then we, we're at uh, number three, and that is the rest must be appropriate. And I mentioned this last week. 
And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to pick up here this morning. The Lord's rest must be entered into. You know, again, seven times in these verse 11 verses, the word enter or entered or entering is used. And it means to come or go into. Jesus said in John 3, in verse 5, as he's speaking, speaking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. John 1, or 10, 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth by, not by the door in the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And verse 9 says, I am the door. So except you enter in through the person and work of Jesus Christ, uh, ye shall not be saved. It's, it's, you're, entering into a, you're, you're entering a false hope, a false assurance. Christ is the only hope of the Lord's salvation. Uh, he has completed the work of salvation. It was all paid for and done by him. He said in, in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. Salvation, the, the, the penalty... The payment for the penalty of sin is complete. And, th- and there's nothing that you and I can do to earn or, or, or work for uh, to receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is a finished work. And so to enter this Lord's rest, we must cease, cease from works. Again, verse 10 says, For he that has entered into his rest, that is the Lord's rest, he also has seized from his own works as God did from his. And he's using an illustration here of the, the works of God did at Genesis. And it says that, that in verse uh, 4, for, a certain, for he spake in a certain place on the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And the reason he rested the seventh day is because the work was finished. The work was finished. And so... In the same way, uh, when Jesus said, it is finished, the work of redemption is finished. It is complete. There is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should works. So it is a complete, it is finished. And, uh, and, and the reason stated for, for people not entering into the promised rest is unbelief. It's unbelief. If you notice again in verse 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, they didn't enter in this rest. Talking here about children of Israel, didn't enter into the Lord's rest because of unbelief. You see, entering requires, this entering into the Lord's rest requires faith. Now, you don't work faith up. Faith is not a work. Faith is a product of the Word of God. Faith is a product of the Word of God. Notice again verses 1 through 3. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. The word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest, as he said. Now, faith or believing is an effect of a cause. 
It's an effect of a cause. You know, we know in Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 uh, through, through 14 and 15, Romans 2, 14 and 15, the Bible says, For when the Gentiles would have not the law, do my nature the things contain the law, these have not the law, having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, and meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So, you know, we, we know there's the, the, uh, the, there's the, uh, the creation, and this, this conscience is the effect, or this, this, this idea of conscience, which uh, a conscience can, uh, these people, it says here, had the, the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. And this was an effect caused by creation. You see, the cause of that is found over in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So a man's conscience is, is, a, is affected by what he sees of creation, that the invisible God is displaying himself through creation. That's an effect. See, some have some look at creation and have a belief in God. In fact, all do. I believe all do. Now, we have people in our world today that say they don't believe in God. I don't know why they take Jesus' name in vain then. They don't believe in God. But I believe this, that they weren't born that way. They taught themselves or somebody taught them not to believe in God. You see, because your conscience can be affected by the world in which you live. In the world in which you live. It can be defiled. It can be seared. You know, Paul talks in in Timothy about those whose conscience is seared by a hot iron. They were seared. And so saving faith and living faith requires, it is an effect, just like conscience is an effect of, of the, the witness of God in creation, that faith is the, is, the, is, the, is the effect of the Word of God. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. Again, verse 2 says, For unto us the gospel is preached as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And then verse 11 says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick. Now, this is true to everyone. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow is the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, the problem the why the reason people don't enter in is because... The word of God is not mixed with faith. Now, the word mixed means to cause several parts to combine. So it's because the hearers had not, by faith, their faith, let it find its way into their minds and make it their own. You have to allow the word of God to penetrate your mind and your heart. It can be resisted. 
Remember Stephen when preaching to the Pharisees in Acts chapter 7, he says, do you always resist the truth? It wasn't that they weren't convicted because they came very angry. They were convicted about it. I mean, they were angry at Jesus on many occasions. They were convicted about it, but they would not act or respond in the right way to it. You think the Word of God doesn't have an effect? I had a missionary one time, he told me, he said, tell you what you do. You go into a busy restaurant with somebody else, and you take a full-size Bible with you, and you lay it on the table, and you start to have a Bible study with this with friend of yours. And he said, people will move away from you. Now, if you go into the same table and take a newspaper and start talking about the news, they won't move. Why not? What's the difference? You see, the Word of God has power. But see, verse 11 says, Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Now that word labor means to endeavor or give diligence to. So if we are going to enter into the Lord's rest, if we are going to have faith, if we're we're not going to be in unbelief or fall out of the same example of unbelief, we have to give us some, be diligent or, or, or endeavor uh, we must work at laying aside our efforts of self-reformation, of self-control, of self-directing, and allow the word of the living God to lead us and then to rest in His promises. See, we must, have, we must seize from our own works. Verse 10, He that has entered into His rest, He also has seized from His own works. His own self-efforts, His own self-reformation. You have to cease from that. And so when he says, labor therefore to enter that rest, you have to cease from that. And allow, and see this is the process of the intellect, the mind, and the heart, the will. You know, the problem is our will doesn't want to surrender to the Lord. Oh, I understand that. I am a do-it-yourselfer all the way. You know, I, I, won't, I won't call anybody to do anything for me unless I'm dead or dying, you know. I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I don't need somebody else's help. But you know, I can't do that with the Lord. I have to cease my own works. And that's what it means to endeavor or to labor to enter in his rest. We have to cease from our own works. You see, the reason most people won't come to the Lord is they don't want to give up what they're doing. They won't endeavor to give up what they're doing. To allow the Lord to take the reins and direct their life. 
It's not that the Word of God is not powerful. Because usually those kind of people, there is a reaction. There is a reaction. But I want you to notice, as we consider, we must endeavor to allow the Word of God to work. And as we notice in verse 12, there's, there's, there's quite a few things listed here. I'm not going to take time to, to go all of them. But I want you to notice the, the, the characteristics of the Word of God and why the Word of God has such an effect on men. And as you think about this, you know, even those who rebelled in the wilderness, there was, they did react. They didn't respond in the right way, like Joshua and Caleb did, but they did react. There was a reaction. And they proved the word of God true. For the word is, the word of God is quick and powerful. That word quick, of course, means it's alive. It's, this is a living book. This isn't, this isn't just another novel that you would read or just another history book. This is, this is a living book. It has the power to give life, to transform life, to change a person's life. It is, it is powerful. It's quick and powerful. The word powerful means it has energy. It is operational. It is effective. Colossians 1.29 Wherefore I also labor, striving according to, it, to His working, which worketh in me mightily. You know, it is sharp. Verse 12. You want to make somebody angry? <laughs> Point out their sin. Point out their sin. They can get angry pretty... You know, the nice, a nice guy can get angry pretty quickly if, if he don't want you pointing out his sin from the Scriptures. You see, it's sharp. It's like a... And this word refers to a double-edged knife, which was the greatest and most effective weapon of the Roman soldier. It cut every way you went. And so this speaks of the effectiveness of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, it, it effectively worked in the, in the lives of those Thessalonian believers that it changed them, it turned them from idolaters to worshiping the true living God. And to wait for a son from heaven. He said it's piercing and dividing. The spirit is which, this is the spirit which gives God life as we surrender our soul and will to him. The soul is the seat of the emotion and God works through the spirit to bring the emotions, desires, and the mind in submission to him. So this, this is the, this is, you know, it pierces the soul. Uh, the joints and the marrow Referred, these you know, represent the most uh, 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 inaccessible bodily parts. You know, your marrow is in your, in your bones. And this tells us that there's no part, no part of the human personality that the Word of God does not penetrate. None. See, psychology deals with the mind. The Word of God deals with the heart. 
That is why psychology often fails, because it is out of the heart of the issues of life, Proverbs 4.24. You know, psychology is a study of the mind and why you think certain ways. It is a science of human and animal behavior. And in our modern educated time, when, you know, we're studying why an alligator would attack a person. Let me give you a hint. At about 1 o'clock, you're going to go home and eat lunch or dinner. Why would you do that? Duh, because I'm hungry. You know, that might be why an alligator would attack a person. However, see, psychology fails to find solutions to correct wrong thinking. It Instead, it just comes to understanding of why you think the way you do and why you act the way you do, and, and that's okay. Now we understand, and it's okay. No, the Bible says if it's an offense to get God, it's not okay. It's not okay. Here's what's wrong. Here's how it's an offense to get God and against man. Here's what you need to do correct to change it. That's what the Bible does. But see, psychology says, oh, now we understand why these people are the way they are. And we ought to respect them for it. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. See, the Word of God deals with the thoughts and intents of the heart, not just the head, but the heart, the will. And reveals to us that which is an offense against God. It also says it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the word. The word discerner means it's a judge. It's a critic, if you will. The, the, the word of God will critique your thoughts and your intentions. You know, the, the word thoughts has the idea of pondering or thinking. Intense means to conceive in the mind the designs of your mind. See, God's Word is able to do what no man can do. God's Word, the Word of God, can read your thoughts and your intentions. And somebody said this, quote, So there's nothing magic about the preacher when he's speaking, and you get the feeling he has read your mail. Unquote. You know, I had, I've known preachers that were accused of telling a visiting speaker about certain people in the congregation so the visiting speaker would preach about certain things. No, it's just the Word of God. God reads your mail. And the Word of God will read your mail. You see, it judges, it critiques your thoughts. See, the difference between the Word of God and every other word, either read or spoken, is this. This is a living book. The Word of God is quick. That means alive. 1 Peter 3 1 Peter, uh, not 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, 
verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have a living hope. And then verse 23 says, Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth. It liveth and abideth forever. That word liveth means it has, has vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. So it's an, it exerts, uh, uh, a, 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 exerts power on the soul. In Stephen's message to the Pharisees in Acts chapter 7, verse 38-39, he said this, This is he. It was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively, there's a word, lively or living oracles. Oracles refers to the words of God. The lively oracles given unto us to whom our fathers would not obey. In other words, they made a choice. They chose not to obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. So there were those who, who would not who, who heard the lively oracles, but they would not obey them, they would not trust in them, but turned, turned away and back into Egypt. But there was Joshua and Caleb. They received those living words. It filled their minds, and it directed Caleb's soul to say, give me that mountain that you promised me. You see, he was, he was saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rest in your promises. I'm going to enter in to participate in what you have said. I'm going to trust in you. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Let me look at a couple of illustrations here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> Again, as I try to contrast that with popular modern-day psychology, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now, again, psychology is a study of the mind and human behavior, and psychology would study why they worshipped idols. And then say, well, now I understand. Well, they would say, well, you know, my ancestors, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, believe that this Artemis or whatever fell down from Jupiter and, and you know, and when we built this statue to it. And, and you know, and, and uh, so they just passed it down from generation to generation. And, 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 you know, and psychology would tell them, well, you know, that's, now that they understand that, that's, that's okay. But what did Paul tell them? He said, you need to turn from these vanities. He turned from these vanities and worshiped the true and living God. These idols are dead. The God that made the world, that's whom you need to worship. In chapter 2, verse 13, then it says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of God, so they, they really entered into, made it part of their life, which ye heard of us, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh 
also in you that believe. So it, it operated, that word factually means operative or alive, or it's active, it's to be at work, it put forth a power, and so it worked in their lives and caused them to turn away from their idols whom they worshipped for, for, for maybe for, for hundreds of years. You really, really think about it. What they're turning away from is the, the worship of their parents. They'd have to say, my parents were wrong. Oh boy. All of a sudden this takes on a new dimension, doesn't it? We'd have to say our parents were wrong. Yeah, they were. But see, the Word of God has such power that it can bring about that effect. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 3. Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, how? By the word of God. Now just think about that for a minute. The power of the word of God. God spake and it was done. Look at, uh, go to Psalm 33 for a minute. Psalm 33 and verse 6. Psalm 33 and verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake... And it was done. He commanded, and it stood still. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. See, he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood still. See, when God speaks, there is power, there is life. And this is his spoken word. It's given to us. It has power to transform, to change a life. You know, God's Word is true. It's unchanging. It has power to move and change the hearts of men. You know, there was a man who hated the name of Jesus. And when he heard that name... He would spit on the ground and curse. In his hatred, he persecuted those who followed Christ. Men, women, children. Of course, we know that one day he held the coats of those who stoned one of the Lord's servants who had preached the gospel to them. And he heard that man say, Lay not this sin to their charge. And then he saw him just fall asleep. 
You know what that means is he died peacefully. Resting in the Lord. There were others he arrested and put in prison who would not deny their faith. But I'm sure testified by the power of God in the face of persecution. And I'm sure at times this man probably compared his own life to those he persecuted and pondered their peace and and why 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 they would not deny the Lord. Yeah, but one day the Lord spoke to him and said, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, let me give you what that means. You know, to kick means to strike. The pricks means to sting. Basically what the Lord was saying to him, you know, you're making your life hard. You are becoming an angry, hateful, and wicked man. You're making life hard against yourself. And you're kicking against this, you know, a sting, the Bible talks about the sting. What's the sting of death is sin. The way of the transgressor's heart, it's miserable. And your reward will be an eternity in the misery of hell. You know, I'm sure Paul, as you know I'm talking about by now, had heard the word of God many times. And I'm sure he thought about those times when he persecuted, when he was testifying to his persecutors. You know, he went. You see, the, the word of God had the power to change him from a persecutor to those who were persecuted. To preaching the Christ he once hated, but now love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he would say, the love of Christ constraineth me. In other words, it compels me. It drives me. It's, it's a living word. It, it's the force in my life. It's the power in my life. You see, this is a living book. The Bible says that in, in there in Hebrews 4, there, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in the sight. You know, all things are naked and open under the eyes of with him with whom we have to do. We cannot hide anything from God. God will reveal everything to our spirit by His Word. No, there's, there's, no, there's no sin in your life that God can't, won't reveal, that God can't show you. There's no problem in your life that God doesn't have a solution for. I remember the pastor in Maryland, he's with the Lord now, we were talking about alcoholism one day in a preacher's fellowship meeting. And he said years ago, there was a town drunk who lived basically on the streets, homeless in the streets of Elkton, Maryland there. And he said from time to time, he'd 
he'd go into uh, a home or something to dry up. And he said my wife many times would take a meal down to him on the street, you know, and, and, and we'd witness to him. And, and he said he was in this, I think it was a nursing home or something, he was in quite a few times where this pastor would go and preach. And he said he preached to him many times. He said, one day, I preached the gospel. That old drunk came forward, talked to me, and he got saved. And the next Sunday, he was at church. He never drank after that. He was no longer the town drunk. And he said, I got a call one day from an organization that wanted to do research and they wanted, they wanted to you know, start some program to help alcoholics. They asked if I'd be interested. And they said, sure, in, in a meeting, you know, about this thing. He said, sure. He said, I called this man. He said, well, can you go with me to this meeting? And so, so these people were talking about alcoholism and what they could do about alcoholism and the solutions and all that. And he said, they, they asked me. And he said, I t- turned to this man and said, tell him your story. And he simply said, I was an alcoholic. I was a town drunk. One day, I heard the word of God. And I repented of my sin and received Christ my Savior. And I haven't drinking one drink since that day. Christ has delivered me. See, that's the solution to our societal ills. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It is a living book. But you know, it has to be mixed with faith. We have to lay aside our ideas. Our own works, our self-effort, we have to lay all that aside. We have to come to the glory of God with an open mind, being willing to receive what God has said. We have to lay aside all those things that we think are going to be impossible in life if we follow the Lord. See, nothing is impossible with God. But if it's not mixed with faith, there'll be no rest. In Revelation 22, 11, 12, 12 13, uh, 22, 11 through 14, 15 says this, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as the work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments. They may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without, without, those who won't lay aside their own works. Without our dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh 
a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride, that's the church, say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him as a thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever will. There has to be a surrender of the will. See, it's not just those who hear. But you have to mix it with faith. You know, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And the will of the Father is you cease from your own works and rest in his words. That's the will of the Father. You know, it's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Because, you know, there's a second aspect of this. It's not the will of the Father that you, as a child of God, struggle defeated in life. You have to take God at His word, believe His promises, and apply them to life. So how is it with you this morning? Have you entered into the Lord's rest of salvation? Have you given up your own life, your own efforts, your own good works? Have you ceased from your own works? Have you put your trust and dependence upon Him? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or cease from your own works. Christian, are you trusting Him for daily living? to lead and direct your life? Or are you taking the burdens of life upon your own shoulders and trying to carry them yourself? You're Matthew eleven twenty nine. 28 says, Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29 says, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're trying to live the Christian life by the things and the directives of the world, you're going to have problems. So how is it with you this morning? Are you resting in the Lord? Is the word of God having its effect. The Word of God cannot have its effect if it's not being put in to your life. It's a living book. If you put it in your life, it'll change your life. but you have to put it in. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Are you learning of him?